Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk, Jacob and Jeremy. Jake, we got a few days of turkey season into us now. How's it? Uh, you, you lucked up this morning, didn't you? Yeah, we uh, the good Lord shined down on me this morning, and I'm not sure if it was skill, luck, or uh, a combination of both. But there is fresh turkey breast in the refrigerator, soaking, and we're gonna we, we will be frying that dude up here in the next day or two. So, man, yeah, he heck, will, it don't matter. Skill, luck, dead turkey. Well, it was one of you know it was just an odd. I, I guess we'll go ahead and talk about it real quick. It was the the first couple of days have just been. You know, not exactly what I've got to hear a few birds. I've gotten close on a couple of birds, just couldn't quite get the deal done. Uh, had one hang up on the other side of a holler from me the other morning, and he just would not cross the holler, and I couldn't get to him. So it was, I could watch him with mm-hmm. my binoculars strut back and forth, and he put on a fine show and hammered down, but it was, it just wasn't going, it wasn't in the cards for me to shake hands with him that morning. So, but this morning I started off on a little old spot, and daylight breaks and i'm hearing nothing crows are getting at it to hoot owl twitty birds is cutting up and there's not a gobble to be heard anywhere and i said Mm. well it's gonna be one of those mornings so i was debating staying where i was and just waiting it out a little bit longer and then i had a deer come up they had just logged down a road and on that logging road i didn't hear him coming i was actually debating whether i was fixing to move and i had pulled my phone up to make sure i knew where the property lines were where i was at so i didn't you know mess up and the doggone deer walked up within 20 yards of me blew one time turned and spun off and i said well okay this spot's busted so i'll move around well i had a couple hundred yard walk to a little food plot i said i'll check it look around and see if maybe we can't get lucky and strike one up and I eased up to the edge of that food plot and got behind a big oak tree in a bush and hit a little call real quick. And when I did, about halfway through me me making a yelp at him, he cut me off. And I said, oh, he is in this plot. Where Where is he at? Well, the plot's got a, a ridge in the center of it. You can't see the whole plot. So I couldn't, I couldn't see him from where I was. So I knelt down real quick. And when I knelt down, he come on a dead sprint at me. And... He got, if he had got about another 10 yards further, he'd have had me cold busted. I mean, he was he was fixing to come around the corner of that tree where he would have seen me no, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I hadn't had time to get down good. And yeah. About that time, he went into full strut and swole up. And he spun around and showed me that tail fan, and I got my gun off my shoulder. I still had it on a, on a strap on my shoulder, so <laughs> I was able to get the gun around, get on him, and he come out of strut made about three more steps hit a gobble again and he poked that old head out one too many times and took care of it we we went ahead and, and sealed the deal for him but it was it was one of those where it's like did that really just happen that's not how i had this morning going but for anybody well, that turkey hunts that's part of it it is it is the the unpredictability about it man I, we um you know opening weekend i know we talked about it on a on a couple episodes ago, that uh, our old buddy Shedler, we got a we got a draw up here to at the Casting Creek WMA, and we uh, we did not get a bird, but I can definitely say it wasn't from lack of effort. 
we um we covered he's got a, a garmin watch that he uses for all his marathon running and all that stuff he does but he he logged pretty much every track that we made and we covered a little over eight and a half miles i think it was in two days <laughs> and uh it was tough man but we had we had a great time i mean nonetheless we got on birds both days and he was for one was able to hear his first turkey gobble he uh he was able to to see a wild turkey um just wasn't wasn't quite able to to put the bead on one but he was he was pretty excited about it you know the first morning we got in there and just just went to a place that i um i knew from from years past of hunting hunting the wma and actually went on a little ridge north of the road that we had parked on and and got up there i knew i'd be able to hear pretty good had a little bit of a south wind didn't really like that but we um we got up there and man, it was it was still pitch black like i it hadn't been the first tweety bird made a peep or nothing all of a sudden a jake gobbles just south of us and and I said, Shelly, you know what that was? He said, I'm assuming it was a turkey. I said, well, you are correct there. But I said, that was a Jake. I said, you hear kind of how broke up and, and stuff his gobble was. But he didn't. He didn't know the difference at the time. But he ended up gobbling twice. And uh, and he said, well, we're going to go over that way. I said, well, well I'm not I'm not going to go over there and fool with a Jake. I said, that won't do us. Neither one of us any good. But then all of a sudden, you know, a good a good gobbler, he, he, he let a gobble out and gobble twice right there real quick and i said well let's let's ease over that way and see what it is to it and we we walked down the road kind of back actually back toward the truck and we get out on a i find a ridge and it sounded like they were roosted on the end of that ridge what i could tell so we slipped down there about i don't know i'm gonna guess we got 20 50 and 100 yards from them for what i could tell and I, it was still pretty dark, couldn't see a whole lot. So I found a little spot, had a little bit of decent amount of cover on it. And I set him down and, and you know, kind of told him how I thought things may play out, which never happened in the way you think they will. But about that time, yeah, I could see the trees that they were roosted in. And it was, from what I could tell, it was four gobblers, a jake, and it must have been six or eight hens. And they all pitched down together, and what I didn't know, I was almost right on the edge of the ridge, and right off the backside of that ridge, you know how how the terrain is over there, it was a low stream bottom through there, and they all pitched down right in the same spot, and as soon as they hit the ground, the hands started cutting up, and man, it was gobbling like, it, it was one of the, you know, just, it was probably 50 gobbles there within, you know, two or three minutes, I mean, they was just fired up, and you know, I was just sitting there watching Shedler, boy, and he was, he was into it, but we sat there for probably 30 minutes, and, you know, I knew it was going to be tough with that many hens with them, you know, especially they were roosted together, pitched down together. I mean, I knew it was going to be really tough to get one even, even come up that ridge to us, and we sat there, and they started slipping off up, up between two other ridges, and, um, and it, it was no way we were going to be able to get off the ridge that we were and get around to them without them, without them seeing us. So it didn't work out <clears throat> that day, and we we chased we chased some more around, and never never got anything going. And then Sunday, I I got back in there in the same place and was and had a little bit different game plan, in hopes that they were going to be roosting the same place and we were going to get down into that bottom with them. And I uh, had a nice little walk in spot that was going to lead lead down. They wouldn't be able to see us coming in and. We sat there till eight o'clock and never heard the first bird. 
never heard anything. And um, so I talked to a buddy of mine that had a had a draw the same day as us, and they had they had heard two turkeys gobble on one place across the creek, and they had uh, they had said they had walked farther enough in there that they didn't want to cross the creek and then go about another three or four hundred yards from what they figured the turkeys were. So we struck out walking in there, a little over a mile walk in there sit there for over an hour and never heard a first turkey gobble and it got to be about lunchtime and we treaded some more and never heard anything never heard anything and then we get gets about two or two thirty in the afternoon and we ended up going down one little gravel road just started walking down it and i uh, actually saw some fresh turkey sign in the middle of the gravel road and so we got up to a to a ridge and and i i yelped and some hens kind of cut me off and I told I told Shutter, I said, Well let's see he's out here on this ridge. I said, These uh it may be something with these hens, if I can get these hens to come where we can see them. And within ten minutes these hens come out to the gravel road and start start walking toward us and about that time I spotted I spotted that head about a hundred yards straight in front of me and he was sitting over there just watching them hens and I'd I'd kinda of reached my hand back behind me, started scratching the leaves and boy he started looking at me or looking over there toward us and and um I started whispering to Shuttler. I said, do you see him? He said, no. I said, well, he's straight in front of me, maybe 100 yards. And he never saw him, but he could see the hens. And about that time, I started scratching in the in the leaves, and he started walking toward those hens. And I said, well, maybe by some chance he'll bypass those hens and come over here to us. And one hen got off kind of by herself between us and, and him, and she started cutting up and yelping and cutting and and all of a sudden, they met up right there at the edge of that gravel road, and they they hauled him right on off. And he he gobbled one time as he was leaving us, and he uh, that's all we heard or saw of him. That wrapped our weekend up pretty much. That's the fun part about turkey hunting, isn't it? Oh man, I had a great time. I mean, Shutter did too. I mean, he got to he got to hear his first gobble and and see some birds, and he was man, he's fired up. You know, we got we got. Um, two days of hunting this weekend on Sandy Creek WMA, and he's uh, he's ready to get back after them. So, if uh, I know the weather is not looking great this weekend, especially on on the first day of the hunt, some rain forecasted and potential thunderstorms, but we'll we'll see what it's going to hold, and we'll uh, we'll give him a give him another shot. I I hope I hope to get get the bead drawn on one and see what he can do with it. Well, that's uh, you got a new guy new to turkey hunting, and he's he's excited about it. I don't know if it gets much better than that, but let's oh, uh, no. let's move on in. Speaking of speaking of new turkey hunters, we've got one of the legends in the industry with us today. <laughs> that we do. Yeah, we probably one of my most look forward to interviews that we've done, uh, just especially this time of the year. But uh, if you don't, you want to introduce him, or you want me to? Go ahead. I think it may be a little bit of connection with Liberty, Mississippi. In just there as a well. tad. Just a tad. A legend here <laughs> and all over the country. I, we, we have with us today Mr. Allen Jenkins. Mr. Allen has well, – Mr. Allen, I'm going to let you tell what all you have done. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I can do all that, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you had – go ahead. I started in Liberty when I was a boy. Uh, I'd like to say, we had a three-day turkey season for two or three years. Y'all may not even realize that. No, sir. But uh, south, 
Highway 24 that come through Liberty, everything south of there was open turkey season. North of 24 what? Wow. It was only a three-day season, and I was... I started hunting when I was 10, and nobody knew how to call a turkey. Nobody knew anything about a wild turkey. And um, anyway, my daddy was bird hunters, and they had never killed a wild turkey, never really messed with them. But I lived south of Liberty, about three miles out, and wild turkeys were on our place out there. And I'd watched them and seen them, and... Well, when season started, I'd go listen to them, and all I was doing was run them out of trees and everything else. I didn't know how to kill them. So when I was 12, I was in the hardware store there at Liberty, Western Olac, I believe is the name of that store. And he had a lynch call in there, and so he let me look at it, and I looked at it, and I said, well, I guess I could build one of these things. So when I was 13... Under Ray Martin, who was an agriculture teacher at a workshop at school, he let me build one. So I built a little wooden box out of cedar. And when that season came, it had only one little place on that box that would even make a decent turkey sale. Anyway, the principal's son was Roger Lowry at that time, and we played football together and hunted together, squirrel hunted, quail hunted. And uh, anyway, we went open day, the three-day season, we went. And uh, we walked from my house back in the woods, and I knew about where the turkeys were at. Not for sure. We sat down by trees. Daylight came and turkey gobbled, and I touched that little box real softly. About three strokes, and he answered me. In a few minutes, we heard him fly down, and... Oh, we knew it. He was standing in front of us, and Roger killed it. That was the first turkey I ever called up. Well, then the next day, I called my daddy one up pretty much the same way. But turkeys back then were easy because nobody had ever messed with them. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. And so the third day, I actually, after school, got to kill one on a Monday afternoon. So in three days, I called up three turkeys. At but the one at Roger Hill, we took up to the barber shop there in Liberty, and people couldn't believe we killed that turkey, but we had. Anyway, the next year, my daddy was sheriff. The next year, he knew Mr. Lynch was coming into town, so I told him, I said, I'd like to meet him. So anyway, I met him and showed him my little box, and he got all upset because he said I had copied his box. And my little box really doesn't look anything like anything <laughs> here. <laughs> but anyway, he gave me a foolproof. And uh, I started hunting with it. And then when I was, that would have been when I was 14, I, I ended up getting to hunt with Mr. Lynch down at Longley. And I got to hunt with Mr. Lynch for until... About seventy two, and he I think he came down when he was seventy in seventy three, and I got to take him, and he he just kept taking nicer glycerin tablets because I had to take a a lawn chair and a whole sack full of collars, 
and his shotgun, and I drive him as close as I possibly could to a turkey I may have roosted. Then time you get him set up and go cut a bunch of bushes to put around him to hide him, that was a chore. But I never was able to get him a turkey for about eight or nine years there because it was just impossible almost because he was a heavy set guy. But he could call, but that don't mean you can kill him when you call him up when you can't move in a chair. True. So he was sitting in a long chair, and it made it real difficult to get him a turkey. But anyway, that's kind of how I got started in turkey hunting. That's a pretty then unique I story. Then I bought the out in 1970, went to Birmingham in 69 and worked up there all about I guess I worked for Mr. Lynch about four months, and he got he wanted to sell it out to me and ended up moving it to Liberty in 1970. And at that time, I had to train people, and I actually got the wood run in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because we didn't have enough equipment to keep up with the demand for turkey gulls at that time, because I was... When I got delivered, I was making a little over 200 a day. Good, yes. And in probably six months, I I was at 300 a day. And uh, in two years, we were at 500 a day, and I maxed out at 500 a day. Uh, I did that for years. One year, we got so far behind that I put on a night crew. And we built a thousand boxes a day. Wow! And you're talking about thirty people or more working. We had to run wood all day long just making parts. Uh, it takes four parts for the for the box for the box itself, and you got to have a lid. So y'all can't imagine all the pieces we were having to run, and and me and James. He was a black guy that worked for Mr. Lynch. And we did all the running of the wood. Uh, and then I think we had a couple of young guys, like Jim Leahy, that stuck, he, he may have run some wood for us, but we had to check it every, every little bit. Then your knives would wear, uh, cutting through a molder would wear, and we had to make sure that we kept that tolerance on those call sides all the time because a sixteenth of an inch would kill all of them. Huh. So, Mr. Allen, I thought you was finna say you was because you was having to check them just because Jim Leahy was doing them. <laughs> well, you know, Jim ended up, Jim did some tuning for us. He did tune callers. Me and James and Jim tuned callers, yeah. Really? But Jim, Jim made a little scratch box. Um, out of Cypress. I think Earl or, or Mac or whatever, I think it was Earl that made a little car out of Cypress. And Jim made a few of those one time. Huh. Well, Mr. Allen, back then, were y'all just doing the, the foolproof box calls or was it more than one call no, y'all we, were making? Back then when I started, I was making five times more world champions because we sold more in right. the North in Pennsylvania and places, we sold about 25,000 boxes a year in Pennsylvania alone. Really? Because they, they had a fall season back then. Mm-hmm. So we, 
we saw more of the, you know, the world champion than we did the foolproof. But the foolproof has been my love all these years because that's what has killed a many a turkey. And um, I've called up turkeys for I don't know how many people, outdoor riders. I can't tell you the turkeys I've called up. I've, I'm not a counter of how many I've killed or called up. Uh, but that's the way it was back then. Then it got to a point that foolproof were about equal with champions in sales. Uh, but I never, only that one year we built a thousand a day running that double shift. But I told James we'd never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. They Allen. like to kill us. We, we were six weeks doing that. I mean, me, me and him, neither one would. I mean, that was uh, 16 hours a day or longer every day, Saturdays and Sundays doing that. Mr. Allen, where uh, were y'all finding the wood to run? Oh, we, I bought that wood. I, my early years, I got most of it out of New Orleans. and uh, But then that was coming out of Honduras. They cut all the mahogany logs out in Honduras. You couldn't get Honduras mahogany. So I ended up starting to get mahogany out of Gulfport, Mississippi that was coming out of Brazil and a couple. Of, the wood was okay. It wasn't as good as some of the original mahogany. Uh, but I, I'll go back to right before I bought Lynch out for the last four or five years Mr. Lynch was in business. He, he quit buying mahogany and he was buying a wood, it was like a tangerine wood. It was a, similar to mahogany, but it actually would kind of turn yellow uh, after aging a little bit. And the, the sound just was not there in that wood. Um, mahogany and walnut, is, to me, makes the best sound of all the calls, a box call now. You can make a slate, a round slate, or something like that out of most any kind of wood, and you make it sound okay if you got the right thicknesses and the slate or glass or whatever. But in a box, to me, the really good mahogany and walnut makes the best sound. But when you're running 500 a day, that means we had to grade that many pieces of wood, which was a 1,000 pieces, to build those cars. So me and James would grade that wood every day mm. uh, to build those cars every day. So we wanted the straightest grain we could get in mahogany. But now, after I got away from some of the Brazilian mahogany, I started getting other mahogany that was seen to be a little better. But today, I'm getting mahogany out of Peru. Uh, it's, to me, as good as the mahogany I used to get years and years ago out of Honduras. You can buy Honduras mahogany today, but it's plantation mahogany. It's just like in pine trees planted in rows over in Liberty. It's all new growth, and it just doesn't have the quality that those old trees did. But these trees you get out of, out of Peru, some of those trees, are, you couldn't put 10 people, hold hands and go around them. Wow. Yeah. But the grain in the wood and the grain in, it's got to be straight grain for the sides. You can put any kind of curly, pretty wood in the bottom or in the end pieces. 
But when you start putting that tortoise up in its call sites, they, it's just you're going to have either dead callers or one that's squeaky that you can't do anything with. So through the years, that's all I've ever done is, is make sure that what went in the call side, either a world champion or foolproof, had straight mahogany grain. And the same thing with the lid. You just can't put a beautiful curly lid on a collar. It's just not going to work. To get a really good turkey sound. Uh, well, Mr. That's Allen. the way I like it anyway. Other, besides the foolproof and the world champion, what else did y'all make while y'all were here in Liberty? Because y'all were here for what, around 23, 24 years? Well, I, we, I moved to Thomasville, Georgia, where I live now, in uh, 1994. So 70 so to 94. 70 so. to 94, we built them in Liberty. Now, I built a jet call like Mr. Lynch made. For the first four or five years, I only built a foolproof and a world champion and a jet, just like he did. Then in, I wanted a better call to hunt with. And I kept finding, trying to find better mahogany to build those boxes out of. So I ended up in, in 1950, I mean 1970, yeah, 1978, I started making a deluxe box. And instead of charging 20 bucks for them in a retail store, we were getting 40 for those. But we put a lot of time and effort in those collars because what I would do is make 500 of them, and then that's what I would hunt with. And a lot of guys in Liberty probably still have some old original boxes that I made because I really didn't start trying to commercial sell them for three or four years. Hmm. Mr. Allen, I know I talked to Jacob about this the other day when we were talking about doing the doing the show with you. I've got I've got a uh, I got a foolproof from Liberty, and I've got a jet from liberty i don't know what what years they were from and i was just wondering where the jet come i didn't know if that was your call if that was mr lynch's call or you know because i've never seen a slate exactly like a jet before uh those calls mr lynch made those calls i just when i bought the company out that was the three calls that we made that was the same thing he was selling the life probably all 10 years that he was in business. Mm-hmm. The turkey business really didn't kick off really big until probably 1973, 74, somewhere right through there. Mr. Lynch died in 73. Uh, it was after his death that's when the turkey population exploded, and that's the same time. I got involved. I'm a National Wild Turkey Federation founding director of the National Wild Turkey Federation. And that's when we started trying to, with with the help of the fishing games, we helped with boxes to ship turkeys in. We flew them from state to state when you could get it. Uh, the Lacey Act, or you could move those birds. Uh, all that was done uh, in the early 1973, 74, 75, and the population just exploded right at that time. 
so I like I say I've, I've been with the Federation all these years, um, but I think I'm the only survivor of the original um, board members of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Hmm. That's a pretty good title to have. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know about that. But anyway, turkey hunting has been fun for all these years. I, I, I've called up a media turkey for, for outdoor riders. A lot of them I've taken and killed a grand slam with them. Um, and that, that was a treat for me years ago because back then we had the outdoor magazines was really only advertising you could get beside the Turkey Federation magazine. But I hunted pretty much all the guys that worked at Field and Stream and Outdoor Life in those magazines. I took them hunting. So well, Mr. I, it was a privilege to hunt with some of those great outdoor writers. I bet you got some pretty good stories out of that, too. Got a lot of great stories. Uh, and pretty much every one of them, I, I take it, one that I call up a turkey for, and he was about 25 steps, and he had a new shotgun that they were, he was promoting with the shotgun people and a scope on it. And uh, he pulled the turkey, and the turkey took off running. I picked up my little 20 and killed him. And <laughs> that story <laughs> wasn't real good. <laughs> <laughs> Did he but write? Anyway, did he write the story I the way it happened? Good times with some of those guys. I don't doubt that. And Mr. Allen, now, you know, I grew up knowing y'all and knowing your three boys, and and I know growing up that they were they were tough on the birds, and I I talked to Nick quite a bit still, and you know, you you grew up turkey hunting, you got into into it big time, made a made a career and a living out of it, and I know. I know you pass that passion on to the boys. Have you got any good stories with them three knotheads? <laughs> well, they've all, I took them all pretty much uh, to Texas, killing Rio's and Merriam's and that kind of stuff. Uh, just a story out of, you know, out of it. I had um, a TV crew out in Texas one time and had been, well, Chip had killed a turkey on TV. And then we were filming Ben, and we were in the middle of a big old open prairie with nothing but mesquite trees. There wasn't no place to hide, so I got a, a, I don't know if you know what a big beta cam is, like they shoot TV shows with. Yes, sir. But those things, two and a half, three foot long and heavy as they can be, and a tripod that's is just about as heavy as the camera. And anyway, trying to hide that, hide a guy with that situation, and me and Ben trying to call a turkey up, we, we was in that, sitting by uh, mesquite bushes that wasn't three or four inches in diameter. And a turkey came in three steps of me and Ben and that camera guy. Uh, and Ben ended up shooting that turkey. And then that afternoon, we were riding around, and the guy with the camera decided he wanted the sunset for the, the movie that he was doing. Well, instead of him, he had backed up his 
footage to look, make sure the kill and all that was good and what we did after the kill. But anyway, instead of him going forward with the with it, he filmed over the sunset over that kill shot. No, he didn't. So that, that was <laughs> a problem really went bad sour. <laughs> so he he took Ben's wonderful hunt and recorded over it with a beautiful sunset. Yep. <laughs> oh wow. That uh I, uh, I bet that I bet he had a few things to answer for on that one. Well he had a few with me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet <laughs> we 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 ended up killing a turkey. I mean Ben did part of the T V show, but I'll never f- forget that guy filming over that beautiful gobbler that came in three foot of sitting. He came up from behind us and walked around us because he couldn't. I, I, I'm sure those birds were dumber than anything around Liberty, and they wasn't quite as spooky way back years ago. And uh, he just circled us, and he was, I'd cluck at him, and he, I know at one point I could have took the gun and just stuck out and touched him. That's how close it was. Wow. But he was strutting in three foot of us. So y'all can imagine what that vibration does to years of him strutting doing the drone. I'm not, I'm going to imagine what it does to my heart when he hits that close and I'm trying to figure out what I do next. Uh, do you, do you shoot, jump? Yeah, that's going to be the challenge right there because I know now when they circle you close, you know, you, you're trying not to even breathe because you don't want to give you give them anything to look at. I could just imagine being that close. That would be a, yeah, that that would definitely turn into something different on that. Well, I don't know how good the hunting is in Amid County anymore, but I can tell you what, years ago, uh, probably in the 60s and early 70s, I'm not sure we didn't shoot the gobble out of those turkeys. Uh, <laughs> because they got to where you they would gobble once or twice, and sometimes you heard one or two gobbles in a week. They just, if they gobbled, they died in those early years. And I'm not sure we didn't shoot the gobble out of them, but I know one thing. I've hunted all over this country, and the hardest birds I've ever hunted are those birds in Amid County that's come up through the years being hunted with the pressures that was put on them turkeys? Mr. Allen. I was just I was just about to ask you, Mr. Allen, does it still hold true with all the turkey hunting you've done and your your time here in Amid County, would you still think these are the hardest birds in the in, in the country to kill? Well, there's some places in Alabama that's equally as hard. But they're on bigger places, and when you get on places like Longley, 10,000 acres, uh, and you have a bunch of guests, those birds are spooky, I'm going to tell you. Um, you put 10 or 15 or 20 people hunting them every day for two weeks, it just totally makes them shut up, you know, because they hear every car coming down there, a truck, and everybody blowing a crow call or alcohol. Sooner or later, they just... They learn to shut up, you know. Mm-hmm. Plus, the one that done a lot of gobbling got killed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> them young two year olds just hadn't had a chance to learn. 
Well, when I left Liberty in, in 93 on that little over 3,000 acres that I had under lease that joined our place in South of Liberty, um, the blight, the, it's not a blight, it's really a, a pox uh, that got into them, and it wiped them out. Um, and when I left, I had five gobblers on that whole place. I wouldn't kill any of them because the population had got to that level. And I was scared they'd be, they'd be gone. There wouldn't mm-hmm. be none left. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I've always, I've always heard that if you, if you could kill a bird on public land in southwest Mississippi, you could go anywhere in the country and kill a bird. Well, when you leave there and go to Texas or go to Nebraska or Kansas, any of those states like that, you can go to Kansas and hunt up Eastern, a Merriman, a Rio, and a bunch of hybrids. But they, they're totally, to me, they're so easy to kill, it ain't even funny sometimes. Uh, just good, solid calling kills them. And I don't use decoys. I never have. I tried a couple times, and... Um, had a guy shoot the decoy, so the last time I needed a decoy, that was it. <laughs> that, that wrapped it up for you right there. <laughs> yeah, he messed it up because he come to my call, and he, I guess he'd have shot, he shot the hen, so he'd have shot anything, any, any, anything that would have moved, he'd have shot. He just, I didn't move, thank goodness. He shot me, I'm sure. Mm. So it wasn't somebody hunting with you? Oh, no, no. He heard me calling and come to me. <laughs> now, were, wow. you, were you on public land at the time, Mr. Allen, or on on private lease? On on on, on private land. So he, he was a so he was not only he was fence hopping. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, Mr. Well, Allen, years ago, if, if you lived north of twenty four, you didn't hunt turkey. You had to find a place south of twenty four to hunt. I got you. And the most turkeys at that time were Longleaf and all in that area south of Liberty down the Amit Creek. I mean, yeah, the Amit River. Coming mm-hmm. from 24 coming down, that whole channel of the river all the way to Louisiana, that's where the turkeys were. And you went on the east, well, the west fork, it, they wasn't as good out there as they were on the east fork of Amit County, you know, mm-hmm. on the river. Yeah. Now y'all hunted, Mister Allen. Y'all know, hunted a good bit in Wilkinson County back then, also, didn't you? I hunted a, a good bit over there. Um, in fact, I had a lease over for a long time, which was not nowhere from Angola in Louisiana. I was just across the line in Mississippi, and you could hear the whistle or whatever went on at the. Angola. <laughs> huh. But we have a lot of turkeys in that, those hills. If you just stay on a ridge, you was in trouble because those hills were terrible. They gullies, I mean, 300 foot down them. So you had to be on the same ridge with a turkey to kill them over there. So, but anyway, I've hunted in the National Forest two or three times where y'all talk about hunting. But years ago, when season got to where there was a lot of turkeys up there, I only hunted up there three or four times. 
I never been up there that somebody didn't come to me when I called on a turkey call. Why they would come to a hen call, I'll never know, but they did. <laughs> I just wanted to see a turkey. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, people are, I think, better educated today uh, hunting. I hope we're a lot safer because you just don't hear a lot of people getting shot anymore. There was a lot of people got shot uh, back those days. And most of them shot from poachers that came in on somebody. Mm-hmm. You hear about it every once in a while, but it's not, like you say, Mr. Allen, it's not that common. Not not that we hear about that much anymore, but, you know, it, it's still, when that old boy gobbles, it, it, it makes something in you shift gears. Uh, I go in a whole different mode, I believe, when, it, you know, you kind of relax, just sitting there waiting, and first time he lets that, lets that thunder fly, you 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 go into a whole different game mode, and you know it, as as age has hit on us, we we try to make sure we do things right or better. And it's I told somebody the other day, I I think it's one of the greatest chess matches in the world. Is you trying to because it's not just you trying to beat the turkey, you're trying to beat you know anything that could possibly spook him, a limb falling out of a tree, a coyote, a you know another hen, anything that could turn his attention away from you and make him do something different can and will happen and more times than not. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I understand y'all got a lot of hogs over, over there now. We've got a good I'm, number. I'm sure that's a problem for you. Turkey hunting too. Mr. Allen opening morning over here. I sat down on a spot where I've had birds in the past and, about 20 minutes before daylight, I probably had 15 to 20 hogs within 40, 50 yards of me squealing and cutting up. And I said, yep, this is going to be a real quiet morning. Ain't nothing here going to gobble. And, huh. and nothing made any racket. And thank goodness they didn't get anywhere near me because I didn't have a flashlight with me. And all I could do was point my shotgun in that direction and hope they stayed far enough away before daylight broke. So they moved off okay. and didn't come at me. But... You know, when you're sitting on the ground with them and it's a pile of them come through, it gets it gets kind of interesting. <laughs> well, I'm leaving to go to South Florida. I'll be hunting down there. I've been taking wounded warriors hunting for years down there now. And those hogs down there, I don't really see a lot of them. I know it's a lot of them down there, but when daylight comes, I just don't ever see many hogs. Uh, but the turkeys down there, about as hard to kill as they may be candy turkeys, those real osseos. You you don't mess up on them. You know, they, you roost them and do the same thing you do that you would do in Liberty. Uh, but it's a lot of open down there, a lot of uh, palmettos, um, but you got so much open pasture. That's cow country. Uh, you wouldn't think about cowboys, but that whole country down there around Lake Okeechobee, all through that country, is nothing but cowboys. They, they ride horses to do in those big pastures because they'll be 10, 15, 20,000 acres. Really? It'd be a lot of turkeys in them heads, but, you know, but you got so much wide open places. They'll walk three, four hundred or three, four miles in a day sometime down there. Mm. So either you kill them 
pretty close after the roost. So once they get in them big old pastures, it's just about impossible to kill one after that. And Mr. Allen, you say you you've been going down there with Wounded Warriors. Is that with the Wounded Warriors program, or is that through National Turkey? Or the guy I hunt with started the foundation back in maybe '89 or '90. Uh, it's a sportsman's foundation for military families, and what he's been able to do through all this is he brings a family in. Uh, to uh, to the place and let them hunt, and that lets the family stay together. And uh, rather than just a man or a woman that's been in service, that's been wounded, come down there. But I've taken guys that had no legs, one arm. I've taken where the half their side was blowed off. I mean, I've I've taken some unbelievable guys that are really great people trying to kill them turkeys and most every one of them I've ever taken is kill a turkey and it's kind of hard to to hunt them like I like to hunt them because I don't use decoys uh, I want to hear him and go find me a place to set up and call him to me because uh, that's the only way I like to kill him if I don't call him up I'm not going to kill him and the guy with no legs and one arm we had to drive him and t- pick him up and set him in a, in a little low low chair and and try to call a turkey to him and that was, doing that was pretty much impossible because if you wasn't where the turkeys were uh, it, you couldn't move him because all them open pastures and they could see them trucks driving across there and they'd take off running but yeah that, it's not it's it's the Sportsman Foundation for Military Families. And the reason is he took some, he used to just take uh, um, wounded warriors hunting. And one guy one day told him, he said, I'd, I've been away and I've been through rehabilitation. And here I am sitting down here and I've been away from my family all these years. And I'd rather be home with my family being down here. But, he, he was there because the military, uh, whoever they contacts, gave him the hunt. And after that is when he started bringing families down uh, instead of just bringing all uh, soldiers. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it's a costly situation. He They're doing something right now. They're giving away uh, a Grand Slam People are buying tickets for it right now, seventy-five dollars. And uh, if you win, uh, you're gonna get to hunt all four species in the United States. The air, airfare and everything will be paid. So, pretty good little program he's got running right now to help support these guys. It is. Well, Shalyn, do this now. When we get off the off the podcast here send us that link and we'll make sure we tag that link and try to advertise it a little bit to to help promote that okay uh mr allen i know we're getting kind of toward the toward the end of the show but i want to i want to i want to i want to ask you a question or or get, get you to answer this um if you had to help somebody out 
you know, if it's a first-time turkey hunter or somebody's been doing it for years, what would be the top three, I guess, tips you could give someone that will help them kill a turkey? If they do or if they do these three things, what can help them kill a turkey? Well, the first thing, he's, he's, he's got to know the woods that he's hunting in. Uh, if he knows the land, it makes things a lot easier. So then when he goes and listens and hears a turkey gobble, he knows where he can go and get close and find a place and sit down. That's a big deal. Where you sit is a major deal to hunt a wild turkey. you got to have be able to see a turkey. I like to have a place, if I'm in the woods, I want to open it at least 30, 35 yards that I can see pretty much uh, 90 degrees around me because I'm going to sit by a pretty good tree, and whatever comes up behind me, I can't see anyway. So I'm going to have an open area there that I can shoot a turkey in, in that distance. And then calling is a big deal. Uh, I know people, you don't have to do a lot of calling, but you got to listen to the turkey. If he gobbles and you decide, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yip to him, or tree yip, you call it, and cluck and maybe yip three little soft yips, and he gobbles at you, that's wonderful. You need to see what he's going to do now. And a lot of people don't understand. If he's turning around on the limb, he's looking the other way, He'll sound like a different turkey. He'll sound like another turkey further off. And then when he turns back at you and he gobbles straight at you, oh, he's just right here on top of me. So you got to learn that sound because I I think they can actually throw their voices. That's how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> when you're hunting them, you'll, you'll, you'll hear one gobble and take off to him. First thing you know, you ride right on top of him and you're going to run him out of the tree. But anyway, the place you sit needs to be where you can you've got good good view, but you want him to come into you into that range so you're ready to kill him. Then the next thing is quality call, making quality sounds. I've heard people say you can make a bad sound and get away with it. You can. But when you get to a three or five or six or eight year old turkey you don't make a bad sound. You don't kill a turkey with an inch and a half, inch and three-quarter spurs by messing up on a call. It's got to be really pretty turkey sound. So you need he needs to learn how to use a, a three-yep call. Yep, yep, yep. Wait a minute. I'll get a call and I'll play it for you. You need to learn that little sweet yep. And you, you can cluck on a box or on a slate. That sound is what I kill turkeys with. And not not loud sounds. A lot of people cutting today and all this kind of stuff. Years ago, cutting was a turkey that had saw a bobcat or something that spooked him and he did a lot of cutting. And I learned cutting. Yeah, they doing it today because it's been on these uh, contests where people on contests to world champion. But when you get out in the wood and you hear a turkey cutting, if she's seeing something, she's excited or something, 
Doesn't mean she's going to call a gobbler up. But I, I don't, I just do not cut. That sound you heard kills, kills. Everybody, every turkey I would kill. So with a good three yep, yep, just like I showed you. And then the next thing is you can't move. <laughs> I mean, if if a turkey is is a hundred yards for you coming in, and you can see a squirrel fifty yards off jump on the side of a tree and make that movement, you turn your head, that turkey picks you up just like you saw that squirrel jump on the side of that tree. So, any kind of movement at that point, they'll see you. That's when they stop. And that's when they don't come in. When they see them moving, they don't know what it is. So those mm-hmm. three things is, is a big deal. Set up, uh, calling, and and not moving. You can move until that. When you hear a turkey gobbling, you hear him coming in. You can move, get set up on the tree bike until he gets in. You know, gets in there for. You can see him coming in. You can't move anymore. So that's the way I put it all my life. But I like to be set up where I can kill him when I see him. When you see a turkey in the woods down 100 yards and he looks up through them oak woods and you call to him and he don't see nothing moving and he stands down there a few minutes and he does not see a hand, normally they go walk the other way. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mr. Allen, before we wrap up here now, uh, for everybody that's listening, you now make Alan Jenkins turkey calls or box well, calls. I tell you what, I, when I left Lynch and retired and, and thought I was too making turkey calls, that was in the first part of '07, and I've been hunting with the governor in Alabama on those governor's hunts, and they called me up in January and said. Uh, we need 350 boxes for the governor's hunt, and I said, "Well, I can't, I can't do it. I'm, a, I'm not at Lynch anymore. I couldn't put Lynch on them anymore. Put the governor's all that stuff we put on them. Anyway, they said we don't care what you put on them as long as you make you make us 350 boxes. So I end up making those 350 boxes, and uh, I hadn't stopped because people. Keep calling me and they want a box. And uh, I guess for the, for the Sportsman Foundation, we did a book, and I built 500 callers, and all that money went to that foundation. So we sold those books and calls. I think they started off at about 300 bucks for both of them. Wow. But Lynch calls are so collectible. Uh, the old Birmingham calls are worth a lot of money. Uh, some of the calls I know of is sold. I don't want to shock y'all, but as much as twenty thousand dollars. Hmm. Uh, wow. But the ones I made, there's thousands of them out there, guys, and they. I don't think the value will ever get much more than maybe a hundred bucks on them. I could be wrong. You are, but the old ink boxes are, are uh, rare, rare. They just keep on getting rare. I'm gonna tell you now. Uh, I've paid more Birmingham than hundred dollars. 
I've got, Mr. Allen, I know we've talked about this before. I think I've got just about every type of call y'all made in Liberty. Uh, Nick gave me a list years ago, and I've got all of them in original boxes, all from Liberty, and I paid over $100 on one of the last ones just to try to finish my collection out so I could put it in a shadow box, and I'm missing one. I, I can't remember which one I'm missing, but I'm missing one. And once I get it, I'm going to make a shadow box and – you know, it won't mean as much to everybody else as it does me, but I just, you know, from from the history of us growing up with with your boys and everything, I I wanted it, and so yeah, they'll you, the ones in Liberty do have some some value to them. Well, the we built I built five thousand push buttons for Wild Turkey Whiskey, and those five thousand push buttons went to Japan with a bottle of wild turkey whiskey. And I've actually seen one of them a while back with wild turkey whiskey with the label wild turkey on it. And then I ended up selling about a thousand of uh, here in the States. But they were so hard to tune, and they just wouldn't give me a good sound. I quit making those. I built mouth collars. I'm not... I threw a mouth collar when I was 16. I thought I was the greatest mouth call guy in the world. <laughs> Had an old turkey that I yipped at, and he wouldn't even answer me. And after about three tries, I decided, well, if you don't like this call, I throwed it at him. It was a lead frame call. And I told him, I said, I'll be back, boy. And about a week later, I went back, or three or four days later, and took that little footproof. I killed him so quick, it wasn't even funny. And I've never been a mouthful really guy ever since. I'm kind of uh, glad you didn't keep using that lead frame, too. <laughs> well, I don't think it, it would have ever affected anybody. They just started that to, what, years ago. Because I tell you what, I knew people that hunted with those things years for years. Hmm. Uh, well, Mr. Allen, anyway, we're getting, we're getting kind of to the end here. We uh we really enjoyed visiting with you this evening. We appreciate well, it. Good Mr. luck Allen. y'all hunting this year, and I hope y'all all get to you know kill a nice bird. Sound like you've already killed a nice one, so maybe the next one have an inch and a half fur. <laughs> We're gonna keep looking for him, Mister Allen. I promise. Well, Mister Allen, we appreciate you coming on and and enjoyed doing it, and we'll have to see you after turkey season if we can't get you back on again sometime. Okay, absolutely. Well, everyone, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk with Jacob and Jeremy. God bless. Well, ain't nothing like a southerner. Lord, to make you feel all right. I got the windows down. I got the radio on.